and welcome to the eighth episode of the Locals Only Bra podcast, brought to you by Sound of Hope Recordings, where you bring the music, we bring the hope. Today, I have a producer as a guest, Isaiah Prathers from Prathers Audio. How you doing, man? Pretty good, man. How about you? Not too bad. Can't complain for a Friday. Yeah. Although it's the temperature is supposed to drop to like 49 degrees tonight and start snowing tomorrow. Yeah, where are you living at? New Mexico. Oh yeah, well I'm in Ohio. It's been storming all day, so yeah, weather's not too great of, up here. It's just so weird because around this time it's already like it's time to break out the shorts and the tank tops and like this year it's winter. Yeah, I started the day with shorts and by the end of the day it was freezing cold, so. That's Ohio weather for you. <laughs> Sounds a lot like here, to be honest. So, how did you get into production? Um, I mean, I've been doing this for years now. Um, I think what really started me off is, like, I just, I kind of fell in love with music because I wasn't really, for the longest time, like, my school district never had sports um, when I was younger. And I was just like, I wanted to do something with my talents, you know, and I wanted to really work on something. And I was like, if I couldn't work on sports, I was like, I really want to work on like music. So we decided, decided to sit down and my cousin was a rapper at the time. Everybody's got a cousin that raps, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, you know, I asked him questions and he was like, yeah, I use Cubase. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that is, but I got it. Uh, I got a copy. I got a copy of FL Studio from the Pirate Bay, but you know. Dude, so I think every producer <laughs> I've talked to, that's how we all started. Was the cracked version from Pirate Bay of Fruit Loops? Dude, I mean, I used I used Fruity Loops up until like about a year and a half ago, and then I made the switch to Cubase, which was I mean, it's revo- it was like revolutionary for me. I mean, I still use FL Studio, you know, but I actually I have an actual copy of FL now. Um, and I usually use that for, you know, writing strings and stuff, but most of my recording and mixing goes down in Cubase. But I mean, I just really wanted to make music and I was like, if I'm going to record somebody, you know, if I'm going to record my cousin that raps, I was like, I gotta have Cubase, man. (laughs) And then I just never got it and I used FL Studio and I made really bad recordings for years. At least you stuck with it. I think when I got it, I used it for like two weeks and then I said, screw this. I'm not going to do this until I can afford like an actual DAW. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have that feeling, but like, um, I think the first piece of software before I got FL studio was like Linux multimedia studio. And like, I mean, if any of you, like if anybody listening ever has a chance just sit down and like look it up on YouTube, cause I'm sure there's videos, like there was tutorials back in the day when I was on there and I made a full EP, like it, it was an EDM EP. It was before I was even like super into metal. It was like dubstep and some like trance stuff. Like it, it literally was Darude sandstorm for six songs. Um, <laughs> It was it was literally like the best like it was terrible. That's why I love it so much. And it was like what got me started and everything and it was just like it was just hilarious. You're gonna have to send it to me. I wanna jam this. Dude, I'm going to. It's gonna be funny. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's great. Um so what do you use? Like, were you self-taught or did you go to school to learn um, production? No, I mean I'm still a high school student. Like I never really 
I never went. Obviously, I never went to school. I mean, I've just been. I've done it since I was like eight. Like, I oh, mean, wow. I, I owned a computer, and I was like, I wanted to do something with music. And I never knew what it was. Um, I like, I wanted to be the musician for the longest time, and I mean, now I mean, I'm still playing in my band, but you know, most of it now is just I want to be a part of the the recording process. You know. A lot of people like to be on stage. I mean, I, I like it, but, you know, I'd rather sit here and be able to write. And I like I mean, I love helping bands write. Like, that's my favorite part of recording. So, I mean, I just that's my yeah, I just stuck with this because of the writing part. Dude, that's awesome, though. I mean, starting out, out like at such a young age, because everyone I talk to, they don't start out until, you know, they're 16 and it's their band that kind of got them to start. It was like, oh, we can't afford an actual producer. I'll just yeah. learn the basics real quick. Yeah, I mean, I I, I started on a, like a Windows 98 computer. I mean, and like as I got money myself, I mean, I... By the age of like 15, I had three jobs, like three forms of income. And I was just like, okay, well, if I work this many hours this week, I can probably get half of this computer bill. And then the next week or the next month or whatever, I'll have this much money and I can buy the rest of the computer parts. And I built everything really, really slowly. But like now I have I have a nice little setup and it was all it just all, I mean, it came slowly, but I love what I'm working with, you know. Dude, that's awesome. Like, that's crazy to hear. You know, 15 years old, you're doing three jobs, going to school. Holy crap. Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, like, everybody my age just thinks they can't do it. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i 16 now, and I get, I mean, I get, like, three albums a month, you know, which isn't much, but, you know, it's for, for being a student, you know, that's a lot of work still. Dude, that's actually quite a bit. I know people my age, 21, that we're we're struggling to get our first album still. It, it's it's definitely, okay, I mean, biggest thing with that is, I mean, I've done so much free work, and it took me, it took me probably, like, 30, 35 songs of free work to really get that first album. And when I've got that first album, the second I did, it just clicked and everything came because I mean, getting the first album is that one little milestone, but once you get past it, it just comes in so much easier. Yeah. Cause that's actually like the point I'm at right now is just, um, offering my buddies free work on their bands when they get ready to do a demo. Yeah. I mean that, and that's never, that's never a wrong thing to do. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, Oh, I don't want to undercut myself, but at the at the same point, until you have you know that that portfolio, you don't mean anything to anybody. Which is it's a terrible thing to think. It's like oh, my work that I spent all this time you know years working on doesn't mean anything. But like once you get a band or two under your name, it's really nice because it's you have that reputation and you have bands that you that you know the new work can contact and be like yeah these guys really did a good job on my album. So let's go back. Let's go to him, you know? Yeah, I completely agree because, I mean, you can only mix so much stems that people have recorded as cover songs. And that's why even I, those, they really I don't feel mean that it. 100%. Like, I, I, I can't sit here and mix a mix a, you know something from the Ultimate Stem Share for 30 hours and feel okay about that because I'm like, this is never going to see the public. You know, if I'm mixing a band for free, it's like at least this is going to be out there and that's something with my name on it. 
Yeah, and then, like, the ultimate STEM share stuff, it's like, okay, I can show my buddies, like, hey, guys, look what I did different on the Asking Alexandria song yeah, or something exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, can only, you can only mix the, the Asking Alexandria stems or the, the Tack Attack steps so long before you go crazy, you know? Dude, I'm already, <laughs> I hit that point. Like, I hit up all my friends. I'm just like, hey, do you guys have any stems I can, you know, work it's, on from any of your crazy. old sessions? That's why, I mean, that's what, another reason why I love, like, the way my band writes um little shameless plug my band is all all like from all different states like every member is from a different state except there's two in new jersey um but they're you know they're spread out in new jersey too but like the way we write is we pretty much all have open an open source dropbox and we'll record some guitars and i'll be like okay well send those to me i'll we'll drop them in i'll write some drums to them and put in some bass and we just kind of all go back and forth and write these songs but like having everybody write so constant like having such a constant income of of work i'm always having stuff to mix which is a nice feeling i mean obviously it's a very similar genre but i get so used to like mixing this stuff and i really enjoy it because i always have something new to mix it's not the the same song that we've all been jamming since 2009 you know dude that's honestly that's super cool like i was talking to my buddy um joey who was on the podcast not too long ago um about like how wild the internet is like i'm talking to someone from australia it's insane man and like you're over here your whole band is like the u.s like yeah i mean it's it's crazy because like i mean even even like you know five six years ago this wouldn't really be a possible thing we've met for shows i mean right now they're all on their way to new jersey um i'm sticking home for a while and then i'm going to wisconsin to meet up with them on their way back because um our guitarist is getting married so which it's you know don't think it's like oh he's getting married there she goes the band uh now she's really cool but um yeah i mean we stay together and i mean we're literally like it's crazy because you think you know meeting these people for the first time would be weird but like the second we met it just felt normal because the internet brought us so close and like it sounds so weird to everybody like oh your band's from a different state but like when we got together it was just it clicked up automatically and like as close as i felt to them you know over the phone it was just like it was in real life even better yeah like see that that doesn't even seem weird to me because there's that band um forever in combat they're yeah they're actually they're actually one of them is from um our guitarist our guitarist's um hometown see like that's so crazy because i mean you have one from the u.s and everyone else is from different countries around europe it's crazy wow (laughs) i mean i do the internet's crazy that just it it blows my mind honestly and i I mean i grew up with it obviously because you know i'm i'm still pretty young but it's just i mean it still blows my mind even though i know that it's always kind of been there for me you know yeah, I mean, same here. Like, I grew up with it being a millennial and stuff, but, like, to think about it, it was, like, if I was born in, like, in the 80s or something, I wouldn't know half of my friends. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, I, I feel like I have more friends online than I do, you know, in real life. And, like, all these forums, I mean, like, it's – there's such a big part of everything I do, you know? I mean – just think about this. I mean, I, I wouldn't be here right now if it wouldn't be for, you know, one of the forums. Yeah, like, if it wasn't for Chango, like, even though I joke about Chango every episode, like, that's how I get most of my guests is because we met on Chango somewhere. 
Yeah, I mean, Chango honestly is like as much of a a meme fest it is. You know, it's 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 such a great format. It's where everybody kind of got their start. You know. Because you know you start off you start off in Chango and then you're like okay well I'm gonna move my way up to to real producer and then we're gonna go to Joey Sturgis forum and then like and then you know eventually you buy into Nail the Mix I'll do yeah. Nail the Mix <laughs> yeah dude I I, sh- I feel that struggle honestly you know I'm like okay this month I can afford Nail the Mix but then I know I'm gonna have to cancel it you know this day because I don't want it to you know repurchase because I'm so broke. Dude, that's gonna suck because now they raised the price up to fifty dollars. Yeah. It's up so, to 50 now? Yeah, I think it changed... What was it? After the, the Meshuggah month, it, everything like, went oh, to Oh, are you talking about Enhanced? No, not even Enhanced. It's the regular I just, one. I just bought the Billy Decker one this month. It's 25 Nice. Okay. Yeah, I know the regular is 25 but <laughs> Yeah, like, so if, you, if you remember before the jump, like you're still going to pay the nineteen ninety nine, but... If um, yeah, that sucks because like someone like me who's been in this like since March of like twenty yeah like twenty fifteen March, like it sucks because uh, or no maybe it was I guess it was twenty sixteen March. Um, someone that's been it that long, but I've had you know a few months where I've had to cut out because I'm just like I can't afford it right now. Yeah, it I'm sucks. pretty sure if you like message um Joel or something, he would have sympathy on you. I could probably do that. I mean, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll see what, we'll see what happens, man. Have you mixed the Billy Decker month yet? I have. I actually really enjoyed this month. I'm not a country guy at all. I didn't even touch it, dude. I'm not a country guy at all, but honestly, I've had, I had so much fun mixing it. It was stupid. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not, like, I definitely, like, it was a little weird at first because country is so different, and I, I really had a, a metal approach of mixing it, you know. Like loud guitars, loud bass, you know, vocals that are mixed in very well. But, you know, I had to realize, okay, vocals need to be like 5 dB louder than like everything. Yeah, bass they have to be like floating on top of the be, mix where everything else is kind yeah. of blending underneath them. Bass needs to be like louder than usual, which is like really weird because I used to struggle with that. And I've been like out of that mindset of keeping the bass too loud. Just because, I, I mean, I always worked on small speakers, and I was like, oh, I can't hear the bass. So I kept turning it up. And then I go in the car, and it's like, oh, yeah. I sold the <laughs> bass track, I think. The dreaded car test. Dude, honestly, once I started passing the car test was when I knew I could start charging some work. <laughs> <laughs> and I, <laughs> it's just it's insane. I do, like, so many car tests, but once I switched to monitors, I felt it was a lot less, like, a lot less necessary. I just switched to monitors not too long ago. I was using the AKG 240s. Yeah, dude, I've heard a lot about those. I think David Fuller talks about those. Could be wrong. they are amazing. Really? They are seriously so great, but now that I switched to monitors, I'm, like, my mixes have have gone downhill a little bit. I don't think I've ever really mixed on headphones, honestly. Like, I mean, I have for, like, reference every once in a while. Like, every, and every so often when it's, like, oh, when I really need to be quiet. But, like, I never really have the issue. So I guess I've never really mixed on headphones enough to, like, be like, yeah, I really need mixing headphones. I mean, what what monitors did you just buy? Uh, they're the Presonus Ares. I think they're the S5s? Yeah, I made the switch from Rocket 
K or yeah, the Kara K Rocket fives. Now I'm at the Yamaha HS fives. Which, How are you liking those? Dude, honestly, at first I was like, these are sound like garbage. Because I was like, there's like no low end. They're like really weird sounding. But I was like, oh, wait, they're not muddy. They're not colored at all. I mean, obviously, I mean, they're colored to a point because they're not, you know, $1,000 monitors. But yeah, they sound, I mean, like now I just love how they sound because they're so, they're just like gorgeous, man. They're, uh, I mean, I'm just really into them. Yeah, I'm it, still just trying to get while, used to my monitors now, though. Like, when you're switching... It, it is a hard thing because you now have the equation with your room. Yeah, like, before, I just threw I, my headphones kind of, and I was good. What kind of size room are you working in, man? It's actually a pretty small bedroom. Yeah, I'm... So, like, I have my bed to absorb some of the sound. Yeah, um, the carpet, a rug, but it's still like, like you said before, when I had headphones, it was just that. But now yeah. that I'm have the whole room to take into account, it's so weird to me. I mean, that's. I think the best way to learn how to mix with monitors is mix quiet. Like honestly, I never have my speakers very loud at all. Like they're almost like, like I should. Here's how I, the way I kind of judge it is. I should be able to like talk like this and be able you should be able to hear me clearly over the mix. Okay. Like that's that's just the, the best way of hearing it. And like one thing you're gonna know is if you turn it up, you're gonna hear a lot more high end frequencies, making everything sound like it's blended a lot better. But the second you turn it down, everything's gonna sound different. And you should be able you should be able to listen at the lowest level you can. Yeah, you should be able to listen at a super low level and be happy with it and then the second you turn it up it's going to sound perfect if you can make something sound good when it's really quiet it'll sound perfect when it's loud yeah like exactly how you're saying that but i did that when i was using the headphones because my mentality was if i can make this snare pop when it's quiet than what it should be then i know it's going to pop when someone's jamming it louder than they should be yeah man for sure I mean, I think that's just, there's so many, there's a lot of mindsets you really have to go in with when it comes to mixing. I think mixing is 90% mental. I mean, because like, I don't think people understand there's so much behind it. Like, it's not just throw an EQ on this and hope it sounds good because like, you really, there's so many approaches you could take. You have additive, you have subtractive. I mean, it honestly just depends on your situation because like obviously in headphones it's gonna suck when you're mixing low end and you're when you're panning because when you're panning you only have a left and right you don't really get that mix of the middle that speakers would give you everything is everything that waves plug in um i can't remember what it's called off the top of my head but if you mix on headphones waves has a plug-in where it emulates a room and you like it's weird because you can move the way the sound hits you in the headphones so mm-hmm. it emulates monitors and you could have them in front of you the sides of you behind you and it actually sounds like that's where the uh sounds are coming from which is really weird really yeah i, I mean it's a waves plugin so it's pretty expensive but yeah i mean I, it's worth I got it the, I got the, yeah i bought the waves bundle so i mean i'll have to look through it and kind of see what's going on in there might be in there 
Do you uh, happen to know the name of it? Um, well, if I'm not, it's not DW a big deal. Now, so I can check real quick. It's the NX Virtual Room Over Headphones. Really? I remember, I've never even seen that. That's a luck. It's a hundred bucks regularly, but looking online right now, it is only $49 because it's on sale. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, so, like, you're getting, what, 50% discount? Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, it's wild. Um, like I was saying, it even though you have headphones, it sounds like the sound is coming in in all these different directions. And you could even, like, shape the room in the plug-in. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it blew my mind. So, uh, what kind of uh, plugins are you using, man? Curious. You use a lot of JST? You know it. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of given. <laughs> that, that's, that's given if I nail the mix, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i trying to, like, use, you know, kind of less and less. I mean, obviously... I own I own almost all of them. I think the only one I don't own is uh, like DF Clip or Actually, DF Excite, maybe that's what it's called. It's something DF. I don't use a lot of the Drum Forge products. Um, I mean, I have Drum Forge, but I rarely use it. I use Get Good Drums mainly. Dude, Get Good Drums, I'm I'm loving it, man. I thank uh, you. They are so good. I'm I mean. Like, I'm definitely more of a, a thicker snare kind of guy. So, like, it's not, you know, the snare is not always my go-to because it is very, like, just clanky and, like, really quick punch. But, Bl- I mean... Uh, blend the snare with the Memphis May Fire one from dude, uh, Chango. I actually, yeah, I mean, I've tried that before. Um, the the snare that's really my go-to right now, it's one of the Drumforge snares. I can't really think of what it is, man. What's it's it? one of the many numbers. Yeah, it's one of the many. It's one of the long freaking numbers, man. But I'm like really into that snare, like the snare combination, because the other one's really like roomy, and then this one's you know obviously that just nice crack of the like, good good drum ones. But I mean, mixed together, they just sound insane, man. The get good toms. Those They're things good, blow man. me away. Yeah. Because um, before I got that, the sampler I was using was Easy Drummer 2. Yeah. And so, I mean, already, you know, it's not that good of a sampler. But as soon as I got Get Good Drums, it blew me away. Yeah, I mean, I use the... Let's see. I use the Get Good Drums and the, the Drum Forge snare on the Defy Reality song I sent you. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it was, like, a nice little punchy snare. I used the the layer a lot in the breakdown. I brought up the, the punch of the snare just so it would really just smack you in the face. Um, but, yeah, I'm really – I like I love layering snares. Like, a usual song for me probably has three, four layers of snares at least. Yeah, like – Even in the most simple songs. When people songs. ask me, well – not like other producer friends, but just like the everyday music listener kind of friend. They're like, oh, that snare sounds pretty cool. Um, what snare did you use? And I tell them like, oh, you know, there's four different snares on there. And they like lose their shit about it. They're like, a real drummer couldn't hit four snares at once. Exactly. <laughs> I was it's like, like, well. It's like the girl that goes to prom. It's like, yeah, she doesn't look like that every day. But, uh, um, yeah. yeah, you know, but that Instagram but filter doesn't but, carry over. Yeah. But, you know, obviously it's not going to go work live, but 
I mean, if you're recording an album, like, oh my God, something that's really been bothering me is a lot of the bands I'm working with, they're like, yeah, man, we really, we really don't want to do dual guitars, man, because we can't do that live because this guy plays lead, this guy plays rhythm. Okay. I mean, do you want your album to sound like garbage? You know, because you, you get one chance to record this album. You know, so do you want this to sound really good? You know, because I thought, in my opinion, you know, an album is like a photograph. It lasts forever. You, yep. the only way you're going to get that off is you, you pull it off all the social media, but someone's always going to have a copy of it. So do you really want to screw up the first time and be like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll just make up for it later. Or do you want really just want to put out a good record? Cause you're paying an amount of money and if you're going to pay it, why not just spend the money, you know, correctly so you're not just yeah, wasting. Yeah, like actually get a good product yeah. that people are going to enjoy to listen to. For sure. No, I completely I support you on that one. These guys, and a lot of the guys are like, yeah, we don't want any sample drums. And it's like, I, I understand that, you know, wanting to have a lot of you know acoustic drums, but they only go so far in a world of metal mixes with, you know, triggers and stuff, you know? Well, like, to quote Joel Wanisak, um, A-list mixes all have these samples thrown in even if it's enhancing not even replacing there are samples on every record now so if you want to be forgotten don't use samples but if you want to get looked at by a label you're gonna need samples yeah and you have these bands that come in that you know oh yeah we're gore grind man we don't want to have sampled snares it's like are you really gonna tell me you're gonna go in you're gonna record 320 bpm blast beats perfectly for three minutes straight because and i really sure don't that the snare sounds like an anvil at the yeah. same time yeah it's like okay well let me know how that works you can have your producer hit me up when he doesn't know what he's doing you know or it's, <laughs> it, those are the, and those are the exact kind of bands where it's like yeah as soon as they walk out your door you pull up the midi channel and you're just like okay let's mark all these and just act like you know you just that's the time where you just gotta act like he's right you know i've had situations where this is actually kind of funny. Bands would come, bands have came to record, and they're like, like totally against dual tracking their guitars. So every time they play, they they played, I would get two really good versions of it, and I just had to cut them really nice. And I cut them nice so we'd have a left and right channel. So every time they did something right, I was like, okay, one more time, and then I would just do that, and then pull them left and right the whole time. And as soon as they left, I had a, you know a nice rhythm section. I mean, it took me forever, but it you know it kind of saved me because they were just totally against dual tracking guitars, and they're like, they're like, yeah, man, I told you, I told you, you didn't need to double track. Look how this is big these sound. I'm like, oh my god, I just want to punch you, dude. Get out of here. <laughs> Sometimes you have to like, it's weird. You have to trick them. Like I hate saying this, but you kind of have to trick them to do what you want them to do because as a producer, they're paying you to make them sound good. Yeah, I mean, people don't understand, like, um, like, like North Divide, there were some things they were, you know, not kind of really into me doing, but I was like, just listen, you know, I do this, this is how I'm, this is my job, like, I, I know what I'm doing when it comes to this, and like, you know, they were, they didn't really want to be tuned at first, and I, we tuned them up, and I mean, it was just sounded so nice, and it wasn't much of a, it wasn't like a super auto-tune thing, but I was like, it's just super simple. Like we just tune this slightly and it just gives it a more poppy sound because that's what they want. You know, they want that radio ready sound. And I was like, we can do this. And then they 
originally sent me guitar tracks that were not dual tracked and i was like i know you just copied and pasted these he's like yeah i thought you just needed two guitar tracks i was like dual track them for me you know and they didn't you know they didn't really think it was necessary at first and when they did it worked same thing with doubles they originally didn't want to do doubles on the vocals because there was no point they're like oh well why, what's the point of that if you're just going to layer this one and pull this one's volume really low but then when i showed them what i could do with the delay effects on the second double and everything they're just were really excited and they were like yeah you really made a good decision here you know and then for those people who don't know double like doubling anything isn't just copy and paste it's a whole other take yeah you know it's you pretty much for a vocal it's hey sing this line get it perfect okay now that you got this perfect let's record another take of you doing that now one thing that is really useful and this is like a tip you know if you guys are trying to get into producing i'd write this one down if you ever run into a point where you hear something going crazy like um, you know, the Nail the Mix was a great example in June for uh, Chelsea Grin. Alex made a really weird noise in his scream. And luckily there was a double that he didn't make that noise. Now, what I did is I pretty much just took that and replaced that small little section from the double and it instantly saved that vocal take. You, I, It would have not been a usable mix without switching that because it was so just – it really just hit you in the face because it was such a weird noise. <laughs> but, you know, luckily we had that double take, which having that double take is always so helpful because you have that option to switch things if need be. Yeah, I mean, doubles are honestly probably some of the best things ever. I mean, I've been watching the, I think it's the Studio Pass on Creative Live with Joey. Yeah, man. So it's the one when he's doing the Down and Dirty song, Move It. Yeah. And seeing all the doubles he has of Dennis's voice. Oh, it's insane, dude. Like, I think he had, what, 10 tracks of doubles? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's another thing is a big thing for me is being very organized. Like, my – so we go – like, on a normal day for me, you know, a mix – a metal mix will have, you know, 80, 80 90 tracks. Yeah, And then, you know, looking at that, no matter who you are, it's intimidating. So, like, I think the biggest thing that a lot of young mixers, you know, have the issue with is they just look at it and they don't know what to do because there's so much going on. Do I start here? Do I start here? I think folders are the best option you could do because it's – you could just close everything up and open only what you need. I've, That's I did, exactly I've what been I do. doing that recently and it's just – it's so helpful and I love color coding things because it's like – you don't have to read the name, but if you know if it if it's green, you know it's drums. If it's if it's this color, you know it's guitar, and it's just the most helpful thing for me, because it just it makes my workflow so much quicker. And you know I'm I'm now opening up. You know I have an assistant that's helping me out every once in a while. You know when I'm really flooded with work, he'll take the files and he'll run it through my project and. He'll color code everything, get everything set up, get all the buses set up properly how I like to. And it's not an always, you know, it's not something I always do. But, you know, when I do have the chance, I do like having that because I really hate sitting in front of a project for longer than I need to. Because I feel like my creativity just starts to drain the, the more and more I look at the doll. Dude, this is just blowing my mind. I mean, a 16-year-old and you already have an assistant. Like, this is, that is awesome. Like, congr- like good for you dude thank you i mean 
you know, a lot of people and you know, and for anybody that's older listening, don't think this is you know, oh, this guy really just did it. I mean, it took me years. Like I've I've been doing I mean, this like you said, you've been doing this though since you were eight compared to someone like me where I just started when I was twenty and I'm barely twenty one. Yeah, I mean it's just it's I think everybody has their time period. I mean I didn't start making like a penny until like a few months ago. But like luckily in the local area, I really just had that chance to kind of get that little push when I recorded one of the bigger bands in the area, which is Defy Reality. Um, now, there's a fun story about Defy Reality because like everybody's like, how did you get that job? You know, you had no albums under your name. I actually was a uh, I was a fill in bass player for one of their tours and I was I got really close to everybody. You know, I had a month to learn 12 to 14 songs i think it was more like 14 i don't remember anymore because it was like two years ago which how my how i got my parents to let me you know go on tour at 14 was the weirdest thing but <laughs> um but you know i did and obviously those guys in the band are a lot older they're you know in their 20s so like obviously they're you know very trustable people um but you know when we went out i always we were always talking and looking for about like looking for producers and i was like i'm gonna record these guys i refused to not record their album i was like i'm gonna make them want to record with me now when we and then when i was still helping out with the band you know because they didn't have a bass player yet now they've you know filled that position um i always would you know i'd be over there and i was like hey let's let's put down some guitars and you know because it really helps to have demos around you know for when we're you know writing set lists and everything which didn't make too much sense back then, but, um, Hey, it worked, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'd sit there and I'd be like, okay, well record that again, record that again. And then I would, you know, be like, okay, well, I'm gonna take these files home. I'm going to mix them together real quick and I'll send them to you guys and we'll have, you know, demos you guys can listen to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when they heard them, they're like, these demos sound so sick. And I'm like, yeah, what can I say? And I was like, just messing around. <laughs> Um, and I mean, they were like looking back at them now. I'm like, these sound so bad, you know, because it's been such a long time since I've been working on this. I mean, the, the, all that's left song, we, we did an original recording of that almost a year and a half ago when we were, you know, just getting back off that tour. And I was like, oh yeah, let's, we should just record a song right now and we'll have a demo for it. And, you know, everything worked out well. And we got that little recording. And then, you know, a year later, the album was finished up being written. And we decided to re-record everything. And then when we recorded All That's Left, we they released that as a single. And that has Ryan Kirby from Fit for a King on it, which was my idea. I was like, you guys really should get him on this because I, it would just be so sick. And it was like the nastiest breakdown ever. I was like, yeah, yes, I told you guys. They, yeah, I... Uh, I co-wrote the whole album with them, which was an awesome feeling because like these guys really know how to play their instruments. So I could throw anything at them and they knew how to do it. Their bass player literally like think of any, like think of the best bass player, you know, like times two. He's so good. Damn. Like, like this guy, like he could play bleed faster than bleed, which is insane. <laughs> and he plays finger style. He doesn't, you know, pick or anything. But this guy wow. is so consistent. Every song on the album that we did was one take, and it was perfect. Everything was quantized. I didn't have to do any editing. 
I could just zoom in. Like, I could just click anywhere, zoom in, and I knew it'd be on time. It was That's, insane. Like, just having a bass player actually play their part is impressive yeah, man. enough. I, like, as much jokes as there are, like, I mean, I still give him the bass player jokes because he watches Glenn Fricker, and he, it's just, he always makes them about himself, and he's just he's an insane player man i just wish you could like i mean i'm gonna be uh i have a prather audio youtube channel we're gonna be doing some bass covers on there of like we're gonna do like a mashuga medley oh my god and like he's gonna play all the parts and everything and it's it's insane because um the guys in the band they were gonna just do like a quick like joking live cover of bleed um and just one of their random shows and they were gonna you know do that and the guitarists are like yeah but this is gonna take a really long time for us to learn you know that's a crazy picking pattern he just picks the guitar up and just plays it never has played really guitar ever and he just picks it perfectly it was insane like this guy is just so good and it's funny we make fun of him for like a mashuga so much because it's just like such a bass player thing to like because it's just so like low so low end and it's like yeah this is the bass song but he's he's just he's a new breed man he's insane dude that's awesome he's like the bass player you always want to record like when there's bands that don't have good bass players i often bring him in just to play their parts because he can learn so quick (laughs) yeah when you do that playthrough you're gonna have to let me know yeah i'll send it to you man it's gonna be fun. We're gonna you know get it professionally recorded and everything, and then I'm going to uh, you know be mixing it, recording, and you know tracking and everything. But it's gonna be real sweet. I'm excited. We're also doing um, there's a really awesome female vocalist in the local area. We're gonna be doing bass and vocal covers. This, uh, pretty soon we're gonna you know probably do full band covers and stuff too, which will be sweet. You know. Yeah, Just, that's like, pretty cool. Because there's so much local talent in the area for you know for being a small town in Ohio, there's so many bands like there's there's so many guys who are just insane guitarists, insane drummers. The uh, drummer from Defy Reality, he's just he's pristine on the drums, man. This guy's got like super expensive kit, and he just yeah, like, oh it's always the guy with the super expensive kit that can't play. But then you see this guy sit behind the thing, and I mean it sounds like take the, the best MIDI drum recording ever and just be like, yeah, this guy hits his snare that hard every single freaking time. Jeez. It was insane. Like he just comps at 127 with the snare, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice. And he's got like these perfect ghost notes and you should hear this guy's cymbal work. He's a, uh, he originally played jazz and he's just, oh, he's okay. so, so he talented knows how with to actually like hit. Those yeah, he's not, then. yeah. He's not just like the, Oh yeah, man. The first thing I learned on the drums was a blast beat. He's he, this guy legit knows what he's doing, and it's awesome. Dude, that is see. I mean, like how you're saying, there's local talent. I mean, it's just that, so hard to find it because those guys are the ones that are not in big bands. I'm like, that's the point of the podcast here is to you know get those guys on here and be like, hey, this guy has talent. Listen, like he might not be in Bring Me the Horizon, but he's talented. Listen. Yeah, I mean, that's a big thing with local scenes is it's so hard to get anybody out to a show if, like, Bring Me the Horizon's not playing or, you know, like, oh, Mashuga's coming to town, but, oh, there's locals, so I'm not going to get there till 8, even though the show starts at 6, you know? It's like you got to really support these local bands because 
you know, what happens when Meshuggah dies out? What happens when – obviously Metallica, you know, they're so old. But like the people that opened it up for them when they were still around, you know, how how are these people going to be replaced if no one supports these local bands? Because it, we're at a point right now to where if no one starts, you know, getting this big support from their fans – they're not going to go anywhere, which means we're not going to have any mainstream metal for a long time. And, and mainstream may not be the right word because a lot of people take mainstream as a negative thing. But I personally think like being a mainstream metal band means you're doing something right. You know, and to be mainstream for me, you don't have to be Bring With Horizon, you know, pop. You you can be, I mean, even Metallica, they're, they're mainstream metal. I don't really like Metallica, but like they did something right and they were really heavy for their time. But they were doing yeah, I mean, something right. They were right. the heaviest band of their time. Yeah, I mean, parents used to be scared of these guys, and now they're like every parent <laughs> listens to them. You know, they're dad rock now. And it's funny they went from being heavy metal to now classified as like rock. It's just hilarious to me. Man, I just, I also don't see how much heavier it can get because you have stuff like Infant Annihilator, which is just like bone crushing, and it's just insane. I just I wonder how much heavier it could get before just metal dies, which is a scary thing. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I think because there's a lot of heavy bands that are really good that if they had the support, I know that they could actually be mainstream. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's just it happens so much. It's stupid. Like you, you go to a local show and you're like. These guys are kicking ass, but no one's here. It's just, it just blows my mind, honestly. Like a band, um, they're not really a local band anymore. They're signing everything. Um, make our famous last words. There we go. Yeah, man. Um, I just saw them. Last they week. were so good. They were just in town last week, man. Like they are so good, but most people in the metal community don't even know their name. Yeah, it's insane. I mean. It's there's so many bands that are like they're touring around, but nobody knows who they are, and it just baffles my mind. Yeah, like okay, so I'm pretty sure you know Enter Shikari, right? Yeah. Like the biggest band ever in the UK, they came to New Mexico, they played at a 150 cap bar. Yeah. Like that's how sad it is. Well, yeah, I mean it's insane because like. You have these local, you have like these local shows or these local venues around here, you know, fill, you know, about 500 and these big bands come to it and they're not even filled. It's like, how does this make any sense at all? It's like, there's literally no local support any, anywhere. I mean, if it's not at the house of blues, no one's going to go, which yeah, is just house like of a blues weird or thing. Ace of spades. Like if it's yeah. not there, you know, you're not going to get a packed venue. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's insane because like. You think these bands would have so much more support? I just really question where the money is, because like I know there's not much money. Because I trust me, I went on tour. We barely broke even. It's it's not an easy thing to do well on. I'm I amazed mean, you guys broke even. Yeah, well, I mean, it was very close. Like we barely did. I mean, in personal amounts, no, we didn't break even. But like band costs, like gas and everything, yeah, we did break even. Um. But with how much it costs to eat and everything personally, yeah. we did lose money for sure. Because, you know, we all are really hungry dudes. Well, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're all really big dudes except for like two of uh, two of them. 
two of them are super small, but like all the other ones, you know, we're like all over six foot tall and just really big dudes. <laughs> Man's gotta eat. Oh yeah. I mean, it was it was bad, man. We lived on Taco Bell for like days. Oh, dude. Okay, I cannot do Taco Bell. Like, dude, I can so eat it good. maybe once a year. But besides once a that, year, like, after- dude, I'm like once a day. <laughs> dude, I can't do it. I don't know. See, like everybody's stomach. Everybody says their stomach gets hurt, and like it doesn't do anything to me. I'm like, like definitely it doesn't hurt more my stomach or anything. Guy, like. I always make the joke. I'm like, ah, Taco Bell diarrhea because it's a meme, but yeah. like it doesn't really affect my stomach or anything. Just, I don't know. So I'm about it. I definitely it. feel greasy after it. It's just like, ugh. maybe because I'm Hispanic and stuff. I'm like, I know what yeah. Hispanic food's supposed to taste like, For and sure. this isn't it. Well, yeah. When I go there, though, I don't have the intention of eating Mexican or, you know, I'm just, I'm definitely there just for the fact that it's like. Yeah, this probably tastes pretty good. I know it's I know it's clogging my intestines, but I want good food. Yeah, if I want authentic food, you know, I'll definitely go to an actual restaurant, you know, where they're not gonna throw this together and be made by a bunch of people that have no idea about the culture. But like on the road, it was like Chipotle, Taco Bell. And this is right when Taco Bell breakfast came out, and we were like, we were at one of these small little places, and it was you know the, the manager wasn't there, so we were like testing the rules, man. We, we were, like, making our own breakfast, like, combinations. We were, like, just trying. They're, like, we're just telling them, you know, combine this, combine this, combine this. And we made, like, the <laughs> best sandwich ever, and it was insane. I was, like, why is this not on the menu? This is so freaking good. Okay, so speaking of, like, cheap food and stuff, if you ever, like, go on tour again and come to Albuquerque, I'm going to have to take you to a place called Big Chow. It's a Chinese, uh, yeah, Chinese food restaurant. And do you know, like, those big three entree-to-go boxes? Yeah. For $7, they give you so much food, they can't even close those boxes. Really? Yeah, so any touring band that's listening to this, if you come to Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, go to Big Chow. It's off of Central. For $7, you have lo- uh, dinner and then breakfast the next day. That's nice. Yeah, like I've never seen anyone be able to finish that meal. That's sweet. I'll uh, I'll put money on that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good too. Oh, like, man, it tastes just good. like Panda Express. Oh, nice. Yeah, man. If we ever come down, I mean, I'm sure that's the you know the goal to make it to more states. I mean, if we do, for sure we're gonna we're gonna meet up and we're gonna eat this stuff. Dude, yeah, that is probably my favorite restaurant because it's right across from my campus. So I'll just walk over there during the breaks from my classes, grab them. Like, all right, here's lunch and dinner. I'm good. Yeah, I mean, as a college student, for sure, you're always on that budget. Oh, dude, it's ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. Especially like when all my money, too, goes into, you know, new plugins or new gear. Yeah, that's like going to be the nicest thing with college is. There's a good chance, you know, I'm going to get my school paid for because I am, you know, doing sports now and I'm, you know, I'm doing uh, track and field and I throw. So, like, I have schools looking at me for full rides right now. So Dude, there's a nice. good chance I'm not going to have to pay for college and I have uh, I have tutors, so I'm not going to have to worry too much about passing my classes and I can really build my business during that time, which is going to be nice. Because if you like, ever need you know, help with any kind of math, um, except for stats, like because stats yeah. isn't math, that's magic. Um, but anything algebra based, hit me up. I'm 
I passed like Calc three already and ODEs. Oh, nice man. So if you ever need help on that, just hit me up, dude. Yeah, I'm taking uh, college classes in high school instead of going to actual class, which is nice because we get uh, college credits early for free. Oh, is it that, that. E- like that dual credit thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's actually really nice. Um, oh, it's so nice. I mean, it's it's saving me like three thousand a year. So like my, I want to say it's my second semester at college. I got a student employment job. And I had to work at the college graduation, and they actually had um, a high school built into the college where the students could go there for free and take free college courses. And then at the graduation, uh, this girl, she was 18, 17, whatever graduating age is. She didn't only graduate with her high school diploma. She graduated with an associate's in chemistry that same day. That's so sweet. I was like, that blew my mind. Like, I was 19 at the time. Like, this girl, a year or two younger than me, just got her high school diploma plus a chemistry associate. Like, I remembered her being in my physics one class. It was crazy. That's insane, man. Yeah, those people are insane. Like, I'm definitely not throwing that much work on myself. I'm, I'm getting <laughs> like thir- I'm getting like 30 credit hours for the year, which is which is not bad. I mean, it, that's a lot of free money. So yeah, I mean that's uh, two full semesters. I mean, yeah. full time students, fifth, uh, fifteen credit hours a semester. Yeah, it's it's definitely really nice to be able to have that paid for while I'm in high school. Like, thank God for the system because it's just so expensive. And I obviously, you know, do want the education, but I just don't understand, man. It's so expensive. Like, I don't know. I don't understand how anybody without a scholarship is able to pay for it because it's just so, so, so expensive. And, you know, obviously I don't want to live in student debt my whole life, but like you think you you think that this would be not as bad, you know, with how bad they want people educated. Like, so I was going to a community college before I switched to the four year university community college. It was like 200 bucks a credit hour. No big deal. And then I went to the actual four year university now and it's like three thousand dollars a semester. That's insane. And then. That was with taking, I think, 12 credit hours. So now when I'm going to go back up to 15, it's going to be 4,500, I think. That's insane, man. School is expensive. Doesn't make sense to me. Like, because like you were saying, they put so much pressure on us. Like, you got to get educated. Uh, you're the up and coming generation that's going to support us. It's insane because we're gonna you're make like... sure you're going to be poor when you do it. Yeah, it's like. Okay, well, I want you to spend $50,000 to make $60,000 a year. Yeah. But don't think you're going to be getting off easy because we're going to throw a lot of interest on your student loans and you're probably going to be paying these off until you're 70. Yeah, like <laughs> even for teachers, they're like, okay, we need teachers to teach the younger people, like younger than you guys, but we're going to pay you barely any, like barely above minimum wage. And oh yeah, you're gonna pay double what you paid us to begin with, dude. Honestly, like teachers have so much credit in my opinion because like I seriously don't understand how they can deal with deal with everybody. I mean, obviously there's you know, you have your good and bad teachers, but like a teacher that gen like there's a teacher that um that, that I used to have, she was like the ideal teacher you could ever have. 
She literally made every single work. She she every day would put forth 110% effort into making sure we knew what we needed to learn. And she didn't, you know, she didn't bullcrap us. She, if there was something we didn't need to know, she made sure that we didn't really put that time in because it was like she really wanted to focus on stuff that would help us in our real life every day, you know, kind of lives. Not something, you know, didn't care too much if we knew the quadratic formula. But she wanted to make sure that, like, we understood how to pay taxes and how, you know, how we understood that, you know, this matters a lot more than this part. And she really made sure that everybody knew exactly what they were doing. But she didn't just download these worksheets off of Google. She made a worksheet every single night for the next day. Dude, that is awesome because, I mean, for my teachers, I didn't really learn any. Like, I don't want to say I didn't learn because, I mean, obviously I did if I'm so far ahead in, like, my science and math classes. But I feel like I memorized stuff because the way my teachers did it was, okay, this is what's going to be on the standardized test that you have to pass to graduate or to make our school district look better. So we're just going to teach you what's going to be on that test. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. I didn't learn how to do taxes in, like, school and stuff, which I wish I did. Yeah, it'd be nice. Save you a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, I mean, it's pretty nice now, though. My mom ended up uh, becoming a accountant. She uh, already has her associates in it now. So she helps me out a lot. Yeah, man, having somebody in the in the business is nice. At least someone who knows what they're doing has your best interests at heart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not just trying to take extra money from you. <laughs> anyway, bringing this back to the realm of music, because we got on this awesome tangent yeah, we about are random public tangent. I don't stuff. even remember how we got here, honestly. <laughs> I'm going to bring it all the way back to when we were talking about organizing sessions. Um... I agree with you though, like, or about organizing. I didn't end up start doing that until I first joined Nail the Mix, and I saw Joel do it, and he was like, pretty much explaining how you were. Whereas, you know, the color coding thing, I would never thought to do that. I was like, okay, all my tracks are blue. I'll somehow figure this out. But once yeah. I started doing that, so much easier. And then, I really helped on sessions like. What was a big one? Papa Roach. I think there was, what, 90 tracks in that thing? And I was one of those people, like you were saying, that was intimidated by this because I was still new. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, I'm mixing one of my favorite childhood bands, and I have almost 100 tracks. What do I do? Well, yeah, it's it's so confusing because it's like you're not used to, like, everything that you were seeing in the, the Ultimate Stem Share is, like, 5, 10 tracks. It's like... Oh, so this is what it always looks like. But then you're like yeah, questioning like I was why used does to that having sound MIDI huge. drums, MIDI bass, left yeah. and right guitar, maybe a lead sometimes, and one vocal track. That's it. Oh yeah. And then when you you open an L the mix session, you're like, this is why my records don't sound big, because I have like twenty tracks less than this, you know. And then you start to realize, okay, well, if I really want my album to sound as big as as Joey's album, you really need to you need to have these effects, and you want to be able to have your doubled vocals. You want to have harmonies in your choruses if you have, you know clean vocals, and you need this, and you need to. It's there's just so much. 
that you don't even think about when you're listening to it because you're like, oh, yeah, that's always just been there. But you don't realize, you know, in the choruses, they have those drivey octave up guitars. And it's like, I didn't think about that. You know, there's just so much that isn't in plain sight that you really wouldn't think about. Yeah, like I think one of the coolest tricks from Joey or yeah, I think it was Joey. He layers a rifle shot. Into oh, yeah. His impacts and sometimes even into his snare. Like there's a rifle shot with that snare every hit. Yeah. No, I definitely I definitely do that a lot. Now, I was doing that to a certain extent for a while. Wasn't necessarily like a rifle shot, but I was just had like a a bomb, which you know, obviously I guess it works very similar because they're both explosion sounding, you know, effects, but I was doing something very similar and the rifle shot is actually really sweet and I mean, I used it it can be used essentially in a genre you want. It just depends on how good you are at mixing it in. You know, I threw it in the country mix and it worked. Oh, wow. But it just depends on how you put it in, you know. You, you got to post in that a, in the octagon so I can listen to it. Oh, for sure, man. Um, the, you know, obviously in a country song, it's not going to be as present as it is in metal. In metal, that it's like sitting right up there, right under vocals. You know, you want that just to smack you. And then in the country song, you really want that just right under the snare and right under the kick. So, you know, you could still feel it rising up for the chorus. You can still feel it hitting down during the little breakdown part in the country song. But, you know, it's not like in your face. Like you can't tell that it's a rifle shot, but you can tell there's some sort of impact going on, which, you know, builds the tension of the song. And I think that's one thing, too, like everyday listeners of music don't understand is like, no one's going to think that there's a gunshot in their favorite song unless, like, I think on the new Attila record, they have an actual machine gun going off. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, that one, people are going to be like, okay, that's a machine gun going off. But they're not going to think of, oh, when the chorus hits, there's this whole, like, explosion going off underneath these drum beats. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I mean, that's what makes those songs punchy and like lack for a better words is super ballsy yeah for sure um i mean i think there's just so much that is often overlooked when it comes to mixing metal that i think a lot of people should really focus on because it's just it's such a it's such a big genre like if it doesn't sound huge and they're just gonna stop listening automatically because if they wanted to hear a record that sounds like it's from the 90s they'd listen to one of their favorite bands from the 90s you know i feel like that's every genre now though i mean yeah even in pop music you have these huge choruses or even in indie music now they're still tr- using a lot of samples now just to keep competing even though they're supposed to be indie they're still competing for that big radio time that they oh, all for want. sure well, they know for a fact they're not going to get an album recorded. You know, they're not going to get an album on the radio if the drums sound like they were recorded in Jimmy's closet. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they just—it's—it's it's a bad thing because it's like you have a lot of bands sacrificing their moral beliefs over their, you know, ability to record. So it's like, okay, so we either we could spend the money that we don't have. Or we could sample these drums because we really want to get our music out there. And that's often the choice they go with, which is perfectly fine because I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a real drum elitist. I'm fine with whatever the band really likes. I think samples have their 
have their places just as well as real drums. If I have a chance to use real drum overheads over anything, I there's nothing I hate more than MIDI cymbals. They just they kill my ears for some reason. Um, I think if I it's have just the, like the way that they're sampled because I mean yeah. I feel the same like I I like MIDI symbols in a sense because I'm like okay oh, they're so clean but like at the same this point is how, like yeah like they're clean but at the same time they're too clean yeah I mean there's you got to have some sense of realism in them because like it's just impossible to get an to get the overheads to sound as clean and clear as that MIDI. Like I, I often see myself pulling back a lot of the high end in the MIDI just so they sound more like real overheads, which I feel that the MIDI drums should be an easier way to mix, not to make everything harder and add more steps, you know? I feel like the shells are easier, but oh, the shells the symbols, are very easy because the it's symbols, just, that's what kills me. Yeah. The symbol yes, and the lack of room is my biggest issue with MIDI because now that I've, you know, my drum sounds have improved 90% since I started using a room mic as, as much as I have. The room mic is like, you know, 80% of my drum sound and people, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that don't use room mics and they're like, what? You know, I think the biggest thing is if you compress the crap out of your, out of your rooms, and throw that under your right under your like actual shells and just have it there your drums are going to sound massive because you know i think that's i think that's the most discouraging thing when it comes to mixing real drums that people don't understand is is it's like this snare sounds so weak by itself but yeah once you throw the room in the overheads are on that snare is going to sound massive once it's got that you know noise from the room and it's got you know a little bit of top end from that overhead there's just so much that goes into a single snare hit that people don't even like, you know, think about because it sounds so good in the sample because it's 19 mics mixed together to make one sound. And people don't even think about that. I fall under that category as well because um, when I started out, you know, like I was saying, I started off doing the ultimate stem share stuff. So I didn't have a room mic. And then when I joined Now the Mix, I'm like, okay. Oh, Okay, what 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 do I do with this room here? No, can I just mute it and not use thing. this? That's exactly what I did, and I was like, okay, so room mic, this sounds like garbage. Why would I want to use this in my drum sound? I'm gonna remove this from the project, and I did. And I was like, that's the exact I, same thing I did. And then the and then the Roctagon, or I guess the Roctagon wasn't really much of a thing anymore. This was still when you know we were allowed to just post it in the forums, and this was like back when it was still like publicly allowed to do like chunk no captain chunk days like back in in april or march i guess it was um, before you couldn't uh even put 45 seconds into yeah, your portfolio this is back when you could use the 45 seconds and you know i'm listening and i'm like why are these guys these drums so big and this you know this guy says he didn't even use samples and they sound way bigger than my drums with samples and i'm like and the, then they talked about how they processed their their room mic, and I was like, "Wait a minute, let me let me do this." So then, um, when that live mix came around, I watched Joey mix the the room mics, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I didn't even realize they played such a big part." And then, the way he makes overheads, you know, he's like, "The overheads, you know, really aren't just symbols. You know, there's so much that goes into these overheads that you don't even think about." And he's like, "You don't want to cut too much out of it. You also don't want to, like, you know." keep a ton in there because they do get messy really quick 
But once you learn to get your drums done, man, I think the drums are the hardest part for new producers to learn. Because I think I think anybody can you know make a good decent distorted tone for a guitar. Bass tone's pretty simple. Just do the high low pass and get a little bit of distortion on that high end. That's easy to do. Vocal processing, compress it. Add some you know delay, reverb, whatever you want. But drums, man, you, you it's make or break with drums. You, like you, it's so like just think about it. Like every time you turn on an album, if you listen to a new album and the drums sound like crap. Most likely, you're not going to finish listening out the full 40 minutes of the album. Well, like, contrary to popular belief on this one, I mean, I do like the new Amir album, but that snare, like, I can't listen to the full album, like, constantly because that snare sounds so weird to me and I can't do it. Saint Anger Part 2, man. (laughs) Yeah, but, like, there's just... A mix, like, do you, okay, I have a question. As a producer, do you feel that a mix can kill an album for you? Because it does for me, and it really stresses me out because there's albums that are written so well that are older albums, but just because they sound so bad, I just can't stand them. So this isn't even an old album. This is a relatively new one still. The new A Day to Remember one, Bad Vibrations. Yeah. It is written so well, and I am a huge Data Remember fan. They were the band that got me into like heavier music. But the mixes, they don't sound like they should belong on the same album, so I can't listen to that album. Yeah, I mean, that definitely makes sense. There's just, I mean, there's a lot of bands that, what I think the worst thing is, is when a band works with, you know, someone like Sturgis and then goes to, you know, some no name producer again, it's like, you go from you know, a really sweet mix, you know, from an A-list producer, or even someone that works with like Joel Wanasek, and then they go to you know someone that's okay. This guy has like six bands under his name, cool, whatever. But the mix sound is just so different, and I feel like a lot of bands that start off with these A-list producers, it sucks because you know when they don't have the money to go back. They just their production just drops so much, and like in the result of that, the album, like the new album, doesn't sound as like even though it's written probably better because they've been musicians even longer and they know how to write better. It doesn't sound that way because the production isn't up to par. Well, I mean, it's like even it's a proven fact that if you don't catch someone's attention within you know a few seconds, they're just gonna click off because they have no reason to stay. And if the mix sucks, why are they going to stay? Because that's no, there's nothing appealing about it. Yeah, like, I completely agree, though, on what you're saying with, like, if a mix is bad, I'm not going to, like, it could be the best song in the entire world. But if the mix is bad, I'm not going to want to listen to it because it's going to hurt my ears. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, you know, a mix that's too harsh or, you know, or these mixes where the Oh my god, so quick example is this the new um Capture the Crown song. There is literally no kick drum or snare drum. Like they're so dead it's stupid. Like you have to literally listen in <laughs> mono to even hear the drums. And it's it's so stupid. Because like Capture the Crown is one of those bands. I mean they worked with Taylor Larson back you know, back on their one of the last albums. And it sounds so sick. Well, yeah, because Taylor Larson's known for his huge drums. Yeah, though, too. exactly. And you go from you go from the most massive sounding drums on earth to having no drums. It's like parallel opposites, and it just it's so weird. 
because like for a band that has that sound and then you know that metalcore sound it relies so much on those heavy kick and heavy snare you know parts and to have like literally no kick and snare it's terrible it was just a super floppy kick drum that got lost so easily by the guitars it was insane i think pretty much every anyone who's a producer goes through the same thing because on the last episode i was talking to uh zach sullivan and he was saying the same thing but for him it was the new palisades album the snare on that sounded so weird to him he can't fully enjoy the album yeah i mean it's 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 different for everybody because a lot of people you know like different styles of mixes i'm I'm kind of like in between on the perfectionist mix and uh, the realistic sounding mix. You know, I don't like everything cut too perfect, but you know, I do love a a good sounding album. You know, I'm not into the whole, oh yeah, we definitely this is a live take. You know, because we really cared about that. I I couldn't care, I couldn't care less if it was a live take. I just want a yeah, sounding could, record. I could care less how you got that sound, but as if long it as you got sound it, good to me, you know? then I don't want it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you could play it like like Mashuga, like I'm not a, I'm not really much of a fan of them at all. And I just you know I keep using their name as a reference, but it's just it's came up in so many of my me and Mike's uh, me and Mike's conversations. But you know their most recent album was recorded live, and that sounds good. Now if you can do that, oh awesome, keep doing it, please. But you know, then you have these bands that sacrifice their their audio quality. I don't, I don't feel that the audio quality was sacrificed on that album. I felt like it still sounded great. But then you have these bands that you know, oh yeah, we're we're a punk band from this area in you know, New Delaware area. You know, we're just gonna put out this punk album and we're we're gonna record it live in Jimmy's basement and it's gonna sound awesome. His mom is uh, holding the camera, so you know. <laughs> Just stupid stuff like that. His mom's holding the camera. His dad's our mic stand. We're good to go. Yeah, the dad's stand. Uh, Jimmy's dad's standing by the breaker box just to make sure the power doesn't go out because we have a bunch of amps on, you know? <laughs> no, I mean, I totally agree. Like, I could, like we were saying, I could care less if it was live. I could care less if um, you're using DI tracks. Yeah. As long as it sounds good, that's what matters. Dude, I mean, honestly, I don't. I've learned to just not care as much of, you know, how they got to the sound as long as they get the sound. I could care less if they got freaking MIDI guitars. As long as it sounds cool, I'm into it, you know? And I'm all about, you know, live performance, but I just want to hear great records because I feel like that's something a lot of this place is lacking because modern metalcore has turned to crap. There's just. Every gent band sounds the same right now. I mean, every every band that labels themselves as deck, deathcore is just boring as heck. You know, it's just I don't get it. There's just so much like the music, the metal scene right now is so stale because it's just over. Like the the bands at the top right now are all doing the same thing, you know. But if you take that chance to look in that underground scene, there's so much good music, which is nice. But at the same point, you can't really relate to anybody with these bands that no one's ever heard of because obviously. They've never heard them. You know what really killed, like, in my eyes, like, what made me start seeing the scene that way? 
it was the Jared Alonji or Alonji, however the hell you say his last name, album, the Beating a Dead Horse. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like it was a comedy album. I mean, don't get me. I love that album. It's amazing, but it's a comedy album that was written better, produced better, and just an overall better album than most of the albums that were out from actual bands in the scene. Oh yeah, for sure. So I'm like, what's that saying when a an album making fun of these bands is better than the actual bands? Oh yeah. I mean, it's funny cuz you have like a lot of these bands that like are making fun of the whole deathcore scene. It's like this is an awesome deathcore song. <laughs> like another prime example is um what's their name? Bro Job. Yeah, dude. Like like they're making fun of so many things. But they're so good. Yeah, I mean, um, it's just hilarious because they're this band kind of making fun of the whole scene and making fun of all the people that like listen and make this music. But they're so good at making the music. You know, everything they're making fun of, they're doing so well. And I'm like, that's kind of sad to me because the actual artists don't even sound that good. So... I mean, it's just showing how yeah, the genuine. It's just funny is. because all these bands that you know claim to be so genuine are are writing the same verse, chorus, verse, chorus. You know, same setup as every other single band that claims to be the this genuine, fun-loving band that has you know calls their fans, you know, their little pet names and stuff, and and has all these meet and greets and everything. They claim to really write the music for the fans, but they all write the same songs. They're just, you know, performed by different bands. Yeah, and these parody artists are writing actual innovative songs that people are grasping onto. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, again, look at Jared Alonji. He's done Beating a Dead Horse, um... That pop punk album, the metalcore EP. Yeah, Sunrise Skater Kids is the. There we go. And I, I don't. What was it? Space Zombie Invasion because it's making fun of the zombie EP. And now he's doing the Canadian softball album. Yeah. I'm like, that's already three things. Gonna be four things under his belt, and that's a lot. Like that's a lot of music under his belt, and he's making fun of the scene. Yeah, it's just funny. I mean, I know he's... I mean, obviously he's into the scene because he's so good at writing it, so he obviously has listened to it, you know, a lot. But it's just... It's so funny how the guy that is making fun of it sounds so good when he makes that same stuff that he's making fun of. Yeah, like... But it it just shows how easy it is to write a, a catchy song in that genre because they're all using the same stuff. And it's like when you listen to it, you're like, this sounds like this band and this band, and this band, and this band, and then you start to really think, oh my god, they all sound the same. <laughs> the best example of that is, um, hey Jared, what's that song again? Yeah. I'm like, because it has uh, parts of songs from pretty much every band in the scene. Well, every big band at least. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy to me. Like, the dude making fun of it, like you were saying, is so good at making it. So... It's just saying all these bands are starting to sound the same. And then bringing it back to locals, if you listen to the local musicians or even, like, they don't even have to be local. 
go on Spotify, look at the metalcore bands or whatever you're into. Look at the artists that have only 500 monthly listeners and give them a chance because a lot of the time those artists are going to be bigger, like, or at least better than the bigger bands. Yeah, one band in my local area is um, A Sense of Purpose. They are an insane group. I mean, they're just all amazing players. Their drummer's really sick. They have, like, one of my favorite vocalists in that area. I mean, even, like, in this side of the country, he's one of my favorites. He's just, like, that good. He's got a super awesome singing voice, and his screams are just awesome. Um, now, that guy that plays bass for Defy Reality is actually stepping in right now because their bassist is currently serving in the country, um, in the guard. But um, that's how I kind of got on in with a sense of purpose. And, you know, I was going to be working on their album. They're actually recording some stuff right now and um they're probably gonna be putting out new music soon their new stuff sounds insane so like definitely when that comes out i'm gonna send that stuff to you because i think you'll really enjoy it yeah i mean i've i've enjoyed both things that you've sent to me of your work so far especially that north divisions like i i love my metal corn stuff but i'm huge into indie oh me too dude i mean i grew up i like the stuff that i listened to when i was growing up was like from first to last, like Emily, like I was super into that, like super cringy songs, man. You know, I love them. I love them to this day, but like listening to it just reminds me of me and like when I was super young in middle school and I was just like, yeah, this song is definitely doing something for me. I was just like, I didn't know exactly what I liked about it, but I knew I liked something about it. And now I've kind of like, grown into these the feelings towards the music and now i'm making that music and it's just an awesome feeling because it's like something i never thought i'd be able to do and it's it's so easy now because i used to think oh yeah i need to buy i need to get like studio time and i need to do all this and now i can sit here and play power chords in front of my computer and it's such a nice feeling um if you like indie music a really good artist out there right now is james Supercave. um i would recommend his song old robots it like it's so weird, but it's really good. Yeah, I listened to something today. I wish I could think of what that's called. It was such a weird song. If I ever think of it, I'll probably message it to you. But it was just like the weirdest song I've ever heard in my life. It was just so out there, and like the music video was insane. It wasn't metalcore. It was like it was definitely an indie band, but it was like a little more rocky than. You know the usual indie stuff but you know whatever it was was just weird and i'll probably try and get you a link because it was just insane yeah dude if you remember definitely send it to me i'll have to send you some links of indie bands that i really like because i mean i love metalcore but that weird indie vibe is something that's just really intriguing to me like that's the kind of stuff i wish i could work on oh yeah i mean the stuff like Honestly, if I could find a band that's like the like My Chemical Romance, like the last album, like that kind of poppy punk stuff, dude, I would be so into recording that. Like it'd be stupid because I, I play keys and everything and I'd love to write synths for that kind of stuff because I'm just so into it. I'll have to get you in touch with one of the local bands here. Um, I'll send you some stuff later on, probably tomorrow. Um 
but I think you might want to work with them if you hear it. Yeah, man, I'm I'm super into like pop punk. Like I don't really listen to pop punk too much, like any other time. But I love writing this stuff because it's just so fun. Um, yeah, I'm like, and the My Chemical Romance album. I was never really into My Chemical Romance too much, but the last album was just like such a poppy, catchy album that I just kind of loved it. Just in the sense that it was like, it was it had such a a pop style to it, but it still had you know some of the roots of the band. I I was never a huge My Chemical Romance fan, so I mean I think yeah, the I only two songs I either. know from them are Teenagers and Famous Welcome Last Black Words. Parade. Oh, okay. yeah, everybody knows Welcome to Black Parade, so that weren't yeah that, that, one, that one too. I mean yeah. I used to work at Hot Topic, so that song was playing like oh, every day. every five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I never, uh, I never was like a huge fan, but it's just it was a, definitely a pretty good album. Um, I mean, if you ever get the chance to listen to it, it's it's definitely not like anything like their old music. That's why it was such a good culture shock for everybody to listen to them. That's why a lot of bands kind of like disapprove the album because it was so weird. I mean, weird, weird is good in a sense because it gets so many people like interested. Well, I'm definitely not into the whole like. Let's let's write the same album four times and sell it, you know, or let's let's put out three deluxe versions of this album. <laughs> Let, let's write one good album and then add two songs every two years and make a deluxe edition. And we're gonna, just going to change the colors of the art. We're not going to change anything else. So, I mean, I'm kind of throwing the at it at a uh, state champs right now, you know, but <laughs> they, they added I mean, like with they deluxe added, albums. I agree. I mean, if you're releasing the deluxe album for every single album, I don't approve of that. No, I think the deluxe edition is cool. Like if it's like a, hey, we remix this album because we realized the last album sounded like crap. Like Motionless and White when they did Infamous, the the original Infamous mix was terrible. And it was almost like impossible to listen to. But they, they realized they screwed up and redid it. And it sounded amazing the second time, and it was worth buying again because it was like, yeah, this actually sounds really good, and there's a point to this. And not only did they remix it, but they added like five, six songs, so it was worth the money. But if you're just gonna put out like an extra song, like how Mice and Men did, they did like the they added three songs to the the album they did like three years ago. Oh they yeah, it just um, the deluxe edition. Was I was like, so what you did, yeah. They're like, oh yeah, we didn't we didn't really make any new music other than three songs. But here's the same album from years ago, but just buy this, you know. Well, I mean, with that one, I kind of understand because like their singer just left, so they're like, hey, we're we're not dead yet, we're still relevant. Um, here's something to hold you over until we can find someone to replace this guy. Yeah. The same thing could be said with the uh, Attack Attack re-release of Attack Attack. Yeah. Um, I mean, they put out, what, four new songs on it and two EDM remixes? Yeah. But I mean, I think they remixes just are lost cool Johnny, too, so I was know? like, okay. Wait, what's up? Um, I think, you know, I, I definitely think that the remix albums are pretty cool. And, like, I mean, I, I like when they're done right, you know. I don't like when they have like the the makeshift you know dubstep producer do it, but like when like the Cell Dweller remixes, Cell Dweller does a, usually a pretty cool job at like doing this stuff because he he actually enjoys metal. This isn't just some 
yeah, I'm just going to pick some random guy, you know, in a, in a, in a EDM forum to mix it or do a remix. You know, these are, this is a guy that actually enjoys metal, actually enjoys the band and, and understands the band's vision. So then he can make a really sick remix. Yeah, I mean, I think out of all the different um, EDM versions of metalcore I've heard, his have probably been the best, especially like the, his Asking Alexandria ones. Oh, and- yeah. I think he did one motionless and white one or two of them. Yeah, he I know he's on one of them at least, and I think it was America. Yeah, that, a good that chance one because I think do. Ricky Horror did the underdog one. Yeah. Even well, to get away from metalcore and back, like going towards pop punk, the Steve Aoki version of "Bored to Death" from Blink One Eight Two is great. If you haven't heard it, you should definitely check that one out. Yeah, I've definitely listened to it. I mean, I, I like that people are, you know, doing some rebirths in different genres because that, you know, that gets the the genre we all love out to a whole new group of people because obviously Steve Aoki is a huge artist and like for some for him to be able to share, you know, the kind of music we love over to them, it's an awesome feeling. Yeah, I mean like I don't know, like, even though Blink-182 was still, you know, like, way before my time, like, I'm a huge fan of them, even, like, I'll look up and try and find their demos and stuff just to listen to it, so, like, having people who, like, only listen to EDM, they're like, oh, this Blink-182 artist, what's this? Like, it's a pretty cool thing, I think. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one reason I really liked Attack Attack, too, because... They were had that like that dancey pop feel, so it brought over a lot of like only pop listeners. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. for sure. For sure. Yeah, I'm I'm really into. I loved Attack Attack. I mean, just I was all about the crabcore man. Dude, crabcore was like, <laughs> it was just so bad. I had the shirt that said like crab freaking core on it. Yeah. I think the first time I saw them though was, like, I was a fan of them when their self-titled came out and then when i saw them it wasn't until the third album came out and so they were touring with chunk no captain chunk and yeah i was just like i was excited to see attack attack and then chunk came on with the panda suit and they were screaming like shots and whatnot like just like shot 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 and he comes out in a panda suit with a super soaker just squirting the crowd with whatever the hell was in it that's awesome yeah it's funny because like I went and I went to Warped Tour this year, and I saw Whitechapel, and it was hilarious because the the pit for Chunk was actually worse than the Whitechapel pit, and like you wouldn't think that because of just the style of music, but yeah, I was more scared in the Chunk pit than I was at the Whitechapel pit. Dude, Chunk goes hard live. Like, dude, this guy got his this guy got his nose busted open. It was insane. Yeah, I'm like, their music might be easy core, but the fans, they are not easy. Oh, yeah, they're they're insane. And, it's, and especially for a band that's like them, that's always out of the country. It's when they're here, everybody goes insane. Yeah, I mean, it's wild. I wish people would go that way for Ranch Shikari over here in the States, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, because, I mean, those guys put on an amazing live show. If you haven't seen them... If they go to your town, you definitely have to check them out. Yeah, I haven't seen them live, but you know I've heard their studio music. Yeah, so like, like I was saying, they came to a small, a small bar venue, 
and they were still like they were climbing up the walls Rao the lead singer was coming into the crowd and like he's like you know have a circle put around me while I scream this angry verse yeah so he was pretty much like pulling off a Vanna type of thing yeah you only have so much choices at that point (laughs) anyway though to bring it back to production and mainly your studio um, how can people get in contact with you? Do you want them to do it via Facebook or do you have a certain email you want them to contact you at? Um, I mean, I do have a way you can contact me on my website, which is www.pratheraudio.com. Um, there is a portfolio section on there. There's also a um, session booker. So if you know that you do want to work with me, you can always just go straight to the book a session site. Uh, part on the site and if you want to just email me if you have any questions it's uh praytheraudio at gmail.com or you can contact me on facebook um facebook.com slash it's prather bby and uh yeah i mean those are the best ways to get a hold of me and you know i'm always always around some sort of technology able to answer questions so i mean my response times you know with usually within five minutes yeah i mean you you actually have a pretty quick response time to be honest yeah i mean i try to i mean i think the biggest thing is is there's so many jobs that i used to lose because i was so slow at responding that i just got stuck to responding so anytime i get a facebook notification i'm on it quick you know because i learned from a a bad incident where i lost a an album because someone got back with a test mix quicker so oh dude yeah that sucks, but at least, I, I mean, at least you learned from it, though. At least you weren't like, oh, I'll keep doing what I was doing. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Once you once you miss out on uh, you know a thousand dollars, it's like, oh, okay, let's uh, let's fix the act. Oh, real quick now before I forget again. Um, sorry about mispronouncing your name. Oh, no I, big at the deal. Beginning of the episode, I said Prather. And- nah, that's a no big deal. And honestly, it happens so much. Like even in real life. The, like people didn't even know it just comes out no big deal at all yeah i just i like, i saw the a and the e i was like okay remember what you learned in elementary school <laughs> yeah dude honestly my last name is not grammatically correct at all so it's okay cool. yeah i just want to throw that out there though i per- half, the t- half the time dude i just i say i say prather too just to just to let people you know keep thinking that it's okay because it's not a big deal to me you know, whatever they're more comfortable saying. I have I have friends that I've known for years that know how it's said and they still say it, Prather. So. All right, cool. I just like, oh, I hope I didn't offend him now that I heard him actually say it. Nah, no big deal at all. I mean, the same thing happened, I think, the fourth episode or something. It was with Joey Leafdean from all the way from Australia. Yeah. And the way it looked, like, I thought it was lifting. But, no, it was like a leaf. It was weird. Yeah. Alrighty, man. Well, we've been at this for almost an hour and 45 minutes or 35 minutes. Um, do you have any plugs you want to throw out now? Um, check out Defy Reality. They are putting out a new album that I just recorded. Um, North Divide just put out their EP, Send Help. Um, check out the owner of this podcast studio because he's an awesome dude and he's really trying to help out the music scene. And... Yeah, if you guys need mixing work, hit up uh, me or your boy, Albert, and uh, we'll get you some tracks done. Yeah, and I will be putting in Isaiah's contact info in the show notes, so if you want to go to him, 
you will have his links when you listen to this episode. Um, another thing that we love to do here at the show is play, well, since you're a producer, we will play one of your best mixes. Um, do you know what mix you would want us to play for you? Um, since, you know, this is probably a metal-based audience, we're going to go with uh, Defy Reality's new recent mix. Alrighty, guys. Well, we will be playing that mix for you, and here we go.